0: I am Dr. Farah Kamengar. I am joined by Dr. April Armstrong. We're at the uh, SF Derm Eczema Symposium and 100-year celebration, it's a very momentous occasion. I'm so happy to have Dr. Armstrong here, and I'm gonna go over your very impressive bio <laughs> briefly before we start chatting. But Dr. April Armstrong is a professor and chief of dermatology at the University of California, Los Angeles. She is a renowned expert in inflammatory skin diseases, including atopic dermatitis and psoriasis. Dr. Armstrong is also a recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award by the National Psoriasis Foundation. She's conducted over 150 clinical trials and has published more than 400 peer-reviewed articles in dermatology. And I have to say, she's been a forever mentor to me as well. So thank you so much for joining. This is so exciting to have you here. Yeah. And mainly, we really would love to, since you're the expert on psoriasis, we just want love to get some ideas for you as what's going on with psoriasis therapies right now and future of it. So um, what would you say about current state of psoriasis therapies or any comments? Yeah, first
1: of all, thank you for having me here, Dr. Kamangar. I think, first of all, you've done a terrific job putting together this meeting and I'm very honored to be a part of the meeting. Um, when we think about psoriasis therapies these days, I think there are uh, about four different trends um, that are happening with regards to patient care and research. Um, and first is, is really precision medicine. Um, how do we determine which patients may respond to a certain type of biologic versus another? so that it will not be a guessing game. For example, when we start a patient on one of the IL-17s, you know, is this patient going to be a responder versus maybe this patient will never be a responder? Um, and there are a few different efforts ongoing with regards to uh, non-invasive methods of uh, collecting, for example, patients' RNA from their skin sca- scrapings. Um, and uh, our um, uh, when I was at USC, we were involved in some of the, these studies uh, looking at how these RNAs can be tested against the different biomarkers and looking at um, then what the, the results may show, telling us whether the patient is in responder to, for example, IL-17 inhibitors versus IL-23 inhibitors oh. or neither, um, such that uh, the patient can be started hopefully on the on the a more uh, precise medicine to their p- particular genetic uh, makeup. So I think that is probably something that, that's, that's coming. That's going to be
0: amazing. I think yeah. it's going to be so great for getting things approved too, isn't it? It's just like, well, we have to use this medicine because this, is, this would be the precise medicine that would work for you.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's an approach that's very sensical. Um, we've seen it uh, in oncology. Um, and uh, so I think applying that to derm uh, would, be, would be helpful. Uh, the other trend is E, which is early treatment. Um, so, there's really a push with regards to uh, how can we get our patients into our clinics earlier um, such that they can be treated earlier. And there's studies showing that early treatment can potentially modify the disease progression uh, in the future. And in um, studies that are being conducted currently, some preliminary data show it may even prevent, for example, psoriatic arthritis in patients who started on, for example, biologics or oral systemic therapies early. So, um, treating patients early, I think, uh, is always something that's, that's very that's helpful. That's so exciting
0: because we have our, like, model diseases, like you know, Pemphigus vulgaris, where you're, we sort of had that mindset, of, let's catch it early, but hit it very hard with, let's say, rituxan, mm-hmm. and it may modify the disease. So yes. that, that thought's very exciting. And yeah. I don't know if, it's, if we have enough data quite yet, but do you think that would be a possibility for some of these inflammatory diseases where you would just see and see them earlier? And also, I would guess, is it mostly kind of using higher doses of medication, too? Because kind of I yeah, think it would sound uh, like a kind of heavy duty. Right, Going right. in there with a bigger, yes, with yeah. bigger guns.
1: Um, I, I know there are investigator-initiated studies looking at using higher doses of biologics early on to try to get people into almost a remission state. Um, it, it, you know, we, we don't know yet if they what frequency they may need some of the biologics later on. Um, but certainly, some of the early data have shown pretty promising that, that going early and going hard may actually change um, yeah. a person's uh, predisposition later on. For example, for 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 their disease progression. That's amazing, amazing yeah. work. So, um, yeah. And then, um, and then the th- uh, the fourth trend is really looking at um, treatment of milder disease with systemic medications. So we know for a very long time, you know, we. We sort of have our biologics and oral therapies uh, for a very long time for moderate to severe disease. And then we had, for example, primalas that's approved for all severities for patients who are appropriate for systemic therapy. So we're seeing now really a progression of using, potentially looking at the possibility of using biologics for milder disease uh, if there's a rationale. So, for example, since the safety profile is is well understood for many of these medications, and especially um, for limited disease where topicals could still fail um, if that can be used. So so that's one sort of research trend uh, that's, oh, that's, that's happening. And
0: special sites, right? If they have to have it very severe, but on the scalp alone, in theory, we consider that mild, but they could be very, it could affect the quality of life, um, could impact social interactions. Yeah. So the, I, I love these uh, the other research protocols that are being done around the quality of life and Everything else that goes into it rather than just the BSA and how we kind of categorize absolutely different fields. I, I'd be curious to kind of the combining those two trends, if we do find data that if you hit it hard, you can kind of modulate it. Would you do that with all psoriasis or my or would it be like the more severe presentations that you would do that with? So it'd be interesting to see how these these things kind of pan out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Retire. Yeah. So so I think with these veins of,
1: of research, I think we should um, uh, be... Kind of moving in the in the direction of uh, really how how we can elevate patient care above and beyond uh, what we have already, which we are very lucky, as you know. Um, and and I know that Dr. Uh, uh, Kamangar, that you've done a fellowship as well in psoriasis. so you're very well versed in the area and also have contributed greatly to to that area. So I think we're we're actually very lucky where we are, but it's about um, it's about how we can even elevate that that degree of care. Um, and there are a few uh, sort of innovations that are more um, therapy-specific. Um, so, for example, when we think about topical therapies, a lot of the energy these days, as we know, are spent into looking at non-steroidal right. topicals. Hey. And we have, you know, wonderful options um, that were approved within the last two years, uh, looking at uh, different pathways with Topinarov and topical roflumilast, which has shown Efficacy, I, I would say probably um, much greater than what we've seen in the past with the nonsteroidals in this area. So I think that's, um, that has already benefited a lot of patients. Um, there are medications in the pipeline, topicals that may be looking at TIC2, topical TIC2 inhibitors. That's really exciting. Um, yeah, it could be helpful.
0: And that's really great because I think for years, patients have been kind of telling us they don't want to use steroids. That's and, right. Yes. Uh, we know if you use steroids safely, it's fine to do. But I think that trend has been there. So it's so great to actually have these options because in the past it was, well, use the stronger steroid because it'll work. Or I guess, sure, use the use the non-steroid, but it's going to take forever. Or, right. So it's actually really great to have that option. It does fill a very specific niche. Yeah. Um, and then what do you think about this really interesting, the mechanisms of action of these new topicals and these sustained clearance i think that's really interesting because we kind of thought that with, with some different modalities but uh, with topicals you usually can kind of have that mindset of well you use it and then when you stop it it kind of comes right back and mm-hmm. that's kind of the mindset patients have um, do you when you educate them now do you mention that to them now that well like with with this therapy you may after stopping and it's not me and it doesn't happen with everybody but that kind of sustained clearance or the maintenance phase without use yeah, I think that's a great
1: point. Uh, we're seeing data um, that, uh, that the maintenance of clearance is maintained beyond one, what we might what, what think. And, I, you know, it's, it's very interesting because I still probably advocate for a proactive therapy that once it's clear, that they could still use a medication twice a week on the frequently recurring um, areas to decrease flares. But we know in the wor- real world, yeah. I don't know how many patients are actually following that because if they don't see it, they're probably they'll just you know stop. they're not incentivized to exactly to put the medication on. And I think in the real world, what we're observing is that in those cases, um, very real world application of the medication, these new, newer topicals that we are seeing a bit longer, yes. um, uh, we can call it or we we call a remittive effect than the um, than the prior topical. So I think that's very. That's very exciting as well. Yeah. Uh, and I would say for the oral realm, uh, we, uh, a lot, most of the small molecule development for the oral realm has been centered around TIC2. I think we've, as a field, kind of really have honed in on TIC2 as a target. We have Ducravacitinib that's already approved. There are two other um, medications that are in the pipeline that are also targeting the same target, TIC2, that's in late phase development. Um, so I, I think we've we really, I think in that realm as a field, we've struggled a little bit to figure out what is the right target, right target yeah. um, but I would say looking at the pipeline, I think the field for small molecules, uh, that, that that TIC2 seems to be the right uh, target. And then now the conversation is really uh, going to how specific it is for the regulatory domain of TIC2 uh, versus, you know, the existing uh, TIC2 inhibitor. Um, and another very exciting area in the oral therapy development is um, these peptides that act like biologics. I call them biologish, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, but they are actually oral medications that um, are made of peptides, and and you take them as oral or orally, and they would inhibit, for example, IL twenty three receptor, right? Wow! Yeah. So it's like kind of like a very uh, you would think of a molecule that does that would be a biologic, but they, they they've right. been able to engineer it as a peptide. And we also have another peptide that inhibits IL seventeen, for example. So so really, almost uh, injectables in the pill. That's um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. so but it's, it's not
0: degraded. They bioengineered it down to the right to right. The level. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, so a, that's very exciting. I think that the, the, the biologics of Revolutionized dermatology, and now if you kind of look over like the last hundred years, we're talking about it's a short amount of time. We've mm-hmm. had the biologics, and every year newer and newer therapies are coming out. Yeah. So I think it's it, we're lucky. It's a good time.
1: We are. We are to
0: be a in the inflammatory disease field. Absolutely, and and I think that
1: um, the biologics, to your point, you know, we we're probably going to look at the launch of uh, IL-17A and F uh, dual inhibitor bimikizumab in the near future, um, it's already approved in many parts, other parts of the world, but um, uh, I think we're going to see that coming, coming as well. Soon. Yes, yeah. So it's, it is very exciting in psoriasis and also um, in uh, atopic dermatitis, which is yeah. a whole different yep. area. It's kind of following, well. it's, it's
0: following behind. <laughs> yes. But then it's, I feel like it's going to really uh, effective medicines really quickly. That's right. Whereas yes. like psoriasis kind of like had this slower start, and there just atopic derm is just going. Straight to yes. just getting clear skin. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It seems like the great. time, time span for the development for drugs in in the AD realm is
1: very compressed, right? Compared to right. I think we grew up, grew up in our yes, you know yeah. with biologics, and seeing the progression of of our currently eleven biologics being approved and introduced to the germ world. Whereas AD, you know, we're having lots of. Uh, yeah. development and uh, innovation in that area,
0: and, and really in the much more compressed time period. Which is actually brings up a good point. That's one of the main reasons we picked the eczema symposium for this <laughs> in this conference too, because we felt like there's so much happening so fast Yes, that the common uh, dermatologists in private practice who might not be doing the trials in the academic center it's almost kind of hard to keep up. So I'm hoping this weekend will actually fill a lot of knowledge gaps for all of us. <laughs> because the I field agree. is expanding. Because with, with psoriasis, you have, you have like a couple of years to digest one set of information before another came out. Correct. Whereas with atopic derm things, which is a good thing, good problem to have, but yeah, a lot of information is coming out very quickly. So deciphering them and knowing which one to pick for which patient. Absolutely. It's happening
1: quickly. <laughs> yes, yes, it, it really is. And I'm so happy that we're able to have this symposium here, and uh, and also, you know, uh, as as a part of the centennial celebration of SF Derm, chaired by you, you know, currently. Hurts, yeah. So I think
0: I think it's it's really really exciting. Yeah, exciting weekend. Yes. And and for this uh, for this podcast, we've been asking everyone, and we've actually kind of been mostly talking about this. But if you were to say just a few things, the future of dermatology, where you see it going, uh, which is along the lines of everything we've kind of been talking about. But anything you'd like to add? I think the future of dermatology
1: is quite bright, and there are a few things I would say um, that we are seeing. Uh, Number one is just tremendous continued interest from medical students going into dermatology and really seeing how um, residents who are coming out of residency um, really leading a bit more diverse path than, let's say, uh, what um, the prior generations of dermatologists have been. And they're interested in not only sort of technical aspects of dermatology, but also uh, very exciting aspects of entrepreneurship um, and, and just, you know, having a, you know, better um, work-life mix in, in, yes. in what they do. And I think that's something that's very exciting and I think we're embracing as a field. Yeah. Um, and also another area that we are uh, seeing is that as a field, we're moving towards hopefully even a more diverse workforce, yes. uh, which I think will be very important for our patients, um, as well as our field in general. Um, I think uh, we continually uh, face the challenges of making sure that uh, physicians uh, reimbursement, for example, keeps up with the rate of inflation. So that's tough. tough. That's been tough. Yes, that's been tough. And 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 I think that uh, both the AAD and a, a, a and and as well as uh, our advocacy arm um, have been uh, really uh, focusing on that as as one of the key areas, along with I would say uh, other field as well. But I think that conversation will will continue yeah. um, to ensure. Um, that we're able to actually then provide the the care to our patients. It's true that yeah. that they
0: need. Yeah, I think I saw a graph once with the uh, rate of like physician salaries, and it's pretty stable. And then hospital administrator kind of salaries, and it has just gone up so much since yeah. the '80s. So healthcare costs are rising, but the physician portion, for some reason, is quite not quite keeping up with absolutely with
1: that. Yeah, and I think even just looking at inflation rates in general is going it's not keeping up you know yet. it's it's not keeping up at all. So I think a greater advocacy from everyone is,
0: yeah. is probably necessary. Very, very important. And I would say in the Bay Area, actually, especially PAMF and our different sites, it's actually kind of hard to recruit newer docs because it is so expensive in these mm-hmm. certain areas. So you feel it more than anywhere yeah. that the, the pay really hasn't quite caught up with um, physicians being able to come out and get mortgages and paying off student debt. So <laughs> it's a huge problem. Yes, yes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> But we have a lot of great minds in Durham. A lot of great minds. They'll figure to, it out. To, right. Lots <laughs> of innovation. focus on that. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much for, for being here for the podcast and yep. this weekend. And you'll yep. be giving lots of good talks tomorrow. Yeah. I'm look very forward, excited about it. And I look forward to other speakers. The
1: program looks fantastic. Thank so you. I, thank I, I you really so much forward. again. Yeah. Thank you for having me.